I'm at that age. Uh, what we've come to is a place in the Beatitude, the Sermon on the Mount, where we went through the Beatitudes, and now we're getting some explanation of these things. Um, it's very, to me, it's extremely interesting. This is a very intricate chapter. Uh, it all blends together. It's woven together. One thing leads to another, and it is foundational stuff. So he tells us what we should be doing. What makes uh, the kingdom of heaven important. What's important in the kingdom of heaven? And it's contrast to the world. Uh, things like mercy and things, you know, like righteousness. And uh, there's nothing in there about wealth, health, or power, or any of those things. And then he goes on to tell us what that does in the world when we do those things. And he says we're the salt of the world, which is like a preservative that stops the rot. And then we're the light of the world, an internal and external force. And we talked about the light, and in 15 he says something very interesting. Still talking about the light that we are when we live the Beatitudes. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. It says, uh, it makes no sense to hide a light when it's so desperately needed. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing whoever you're with these times places and people become the lampstand that your light shines from uh, we one of the most uh, devious things Satan does is tells you that you're not important that you don't have a light that because you can't sing preach or do this or do that then you don't have any light to share uh, to be quite frankly honest I only exist in my capacity because you're the lights I'm sort of the guy who I'm the light keeper <laughs> you know uh, that's all I am uh, the light comes from you guys it's not from clergy uh, it's in everyday life it's in the people you meet at the store it's in your neighbors it's it's all these things shining the light of Christ is a choice it makes, no, it makes no sense not to choose to show Christ. As I often say, we have two choices in any environment and in any circumstance you run across in life. You have two choices. Show them Jesus Christ or show them you. The world does not need to see more of me. It needs to see Jesus Christ in me. And uh, I've said it a hundred times, but it is extremely true. Every time you encounter these, a situation in your life, you could put the shade on or you could take the shade off and that's your choice when you show you to the world you put the lampshade over the light of christ john 1 8 tells us that john the baptist was not the light but that he came to testify about the light uh, he stood there and pointed at jesus and said there's the light right there now what i'm telling you is that if john the baptist came today and you walked down the street he would point at you and say, there's the light, right there. John would see Jesus in you, shining out from you. That's how real this is. Salt does what it does internally. Light does what it does externally. One stops decay, evil. The other leads to righteousness. So stopping evil, leading to righteousness. That is what we're here to do, just by living the Beatitudes and the principles behind the Beatitudes. I'm, I'm not turning the Beatitudes into law, okay? It's the heart of the Beatitudes that's there. And it surely just, just reeks out of it, you know, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. 
verse 16. Let, which puts you into this when it says let, uh, it's a choice by you. Your light shine out before men in such a way that they may see your, what, good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I've preached on this before, but it, let your light shine before men because they matter. They need to see the light. That's not the church. It's saying men. When it says men in general, we're talking about the world. Because there, there are scriptures that speak to our what we do inside of our own fellowship. This is talking about the world, uh, and do it in such a way as it. Because what it's saying is you have a choice how you shine, not only to let it shine, but how you shine. That they may see what your good works, the right things you do, and honestly, the beatitudes. If you follow the beatitudes, you're going to do good works, and glorify your Father who's in heaven. The light of Christ that shines out from you into the world is your good work defined by the attitude the beatitudes in the law this light then shines back to god and glorifies who god not us and that's where we a lot of us go astray or get it a little bit wrong the path of the light goes from god to jesus to you to the world back to god it's the circle of light every time you have a choice on how to sh how to present yourself to this world. That's what's happening. Jesus tells us to let the circle of light be unbroken. Allow it to happen. All you have to do is take the shade off. Take it out from under your bed and just be who you are in Christ. You don't have to do anything else other than that. Uh, why? Because it's your destiny. Because... We should love the people of this world as Christ does and because it gives glory to God. Th those are the reasons. You don't need a bigger reason than that. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave. He's our God. We should love what he loves the way he loves. We should so, so love the world that we give. Letting your light shine gives fulfillment to you. It gives hope to the world and glory to God. Just let these things happen. The lens through which the light of Christ shines out from you is your good works. And the good works are defined by up above in the Beatitudes. They flow from that. Not just good words. And I think that really is the point. Good works lead to good words. When the world sees and asks where your hopes come from, your hope comes from, be ready. To give a defense for that hope is what scripture tells us. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Respect. So basically, when they see what you're doing, when they see your good works, when your light shines, be ready to tell them why your light is shining. You telling them about the light is not your light shining. The real witness to this world is our works, and it is our love. The, well, our works come from our love. People will not ask you to explain your light of hope unless they see it. They're not going to care. You're just like them. Uh, Colossians 1, 4, 5 says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope 
laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Faith, love, hope. Right from 1 Corinthians in two verses. In Jesus' first open teaching to his disciples, which this is, he tells the world right up front the difference between life in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of men. He tells you what is of value, what we should pursue, what the reward is for pursuing it, and what then what the price is for pursuing it. And this is just in a couple of verses. Then he tells us what this means to the world and what our influence on this world is. That's where we are in this, chapter uh, 5. Now it should be noted, once again, there's nothing here about worldly gain. Nothing worldly is promised, nor is it noted as a reward for compliance. No promise of wealth, health, or power. Nothing is said here or anything else or anywhere else about political power or influence. As Jesus said later, he sends us out as sheep among wolves, and he tells us to be what? Wise and gentle. That's it. Why? Because the wolves matter. And the light of Christ that shines out from us by living these beatitudes, the principles behind them, which are basically the principles of love, is the power that changes them and saves them from the same thing that we were saved from, ourselves. Now, this starts, the next verse, <laughs> Jesus solves some problems before they start. After he talks about the Beatitudes and this is the kingdom of heaven, he could already see the little squirrel cage in the mind of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees going, well, what about what we live by, the law? Because you ain't said nothing about that yet. In what I consider to be a preemptive strike, <laughs> Jesus goes right to the matter in his first really uh, open sermon. And verse 17 says, so he goes from that about us being a light. And then he says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets, the Old Testament. I can't put it another way. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Now, fulfill is used 86 times in the New Testament, 16 times in Matthew. And the meaning that seems to apply here is this. To make complete in every particular to render it perfect, to carry it through to the end, to accomplish, to carry out some undertaking. In other words, to finish it, to make it complete. Now, the law in and of itself is basically the entirety of the writings of the Old Testament. Um, the, the prophets, when he says the law and the prophets, uh, the law is the first five books, the prophets is everything else, and there's also what we consider to be the poetic books, uh, you know, the Psalms, the Proverbs, all those things. But he is talking about their writings, their scripture. Well, actually, at that time, the only scripture there is. So what he's saying is, I haven't come to abolish any scripture. I came to fulfill scripture. Uh, Jesus addresses an issue that the first 16 verses raise, and that's this. So then all I have to do is be nice and love people. Then I will be blessed and be a light to the world. Has the law become moot? Does what I don't do matter anymore? 
Not what I do, but what I don't do. Does it matter anymore? All the things in Scripture that said, don't do this, don't do that, do they matter if I'm doing these things? This verse speaks to the importance of verse 6, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus never removes any of the law. The what. Jesus does speak to and explain the importance of the why and the how, which is what he's doing here, and he's going to do in a few verses after this with great detail. Uh, this, this is an in-depth teaching, and man, you could I'm telling you, you could spend a year on this. Um, our motives and our hearts behind the law. Jesus makes his stand on the law absolutely clear before he addresses heart and motive. So, he has talked about the things of love, and he's going to talk about the why of the law. And so, in between those two things, he's, he makes a statement about the what of the law. Because we can get carried away with that. We could start to say, well, then I don't really have to obey that. Paul addresses this in Romans. What then? If the law is, you know, then I have to have, you know, it's better that I disobey it. And Paul says, what are you, nuts? You know. Um, the what never goes away. This is necessary because when Jesus starts to address the heart of the law, many will try to dismiss the letter of the law. In other words, saying, well, it really doesn't matter if I listen or don't listen because my heart's right. Uh, Jesus is about to say some revolutionary stuff about the law. But he begins by saying, the law is good and it will always stand. Now, it's still revolutionary for us, but you can't imagine how revolutionary that statement, what he's about to say, is for them. They have no concept of the grace that is upon, that is in front of them and the power of that grace. They have the law, and there isn't a whole lot of people out there who understand the law. Who have, When God says that David is a man after my own heart, read Psalms. You'll see why. Read Psalms uh, 119, where he talks about the law of the Lord and how precious it is to him. Because David gets it. He under, He's one of the few people who understands the law. The law is a light to my feet. It's a lamp for me. You know, it's, it's what shows me when I'm wrong and right. And I really want to know. It's not what keeps me from being evil. It's what keeps me righteous. That's a whole different way of thinking of it. Now, understand it's not the law of Moses. We always say that, and it's said throughout Scripture, but please understand... Moses just delivered it. It's the law of God. It's the law of Jesus Christ himself. The guy who's teaching about it is the guy who sent it. It's his. Jesus has authority over the law as he is its author. And yet he proclaims that he came to fulfill it. I proclaim to fulfill my own law. To bring it to its culmination. To bring about its purpose for me sending it. The reason I gave it to Moses to give to you is going to be fulfilled in me because the whole picture and the purpose of the law will be seen and culminate in me. And the law, I've told you a lot of times, the law shows us what's wrong. It cannot save you. It has no power to do that. It never did. What it does is it shows you you need saved. And now the Savior is here, so it is culminating in him. The MRI of the soul is meeting the chemotherapy for the cancer. And that is Jesus Christ that works every single time you turn to it. Uh, I don't know how to put it another way, but it's my own analogy. It may be awkward, but it's what I got. 
that's the culmination of his treatment for mankind's ill. And it started with the law. And it lasted for thousands of years. And this treatment part is lasting for thousands of years. It's God's time and God's way. John 13, 34-35. A new commandment I give you. Okay. Let's stop there. Jesus is standing there in front of all these people. Religious leaders are listening. And he says, a new commandment? Well... If somebody walks up to our church pulpit and says, I have a new commandment I'm giving you, throw them out. If I ever say it, fire me. I have no authority to give you commandments. None. Who am I? So just by saying, I'm giving you a commandment, Jesus is telling you who he is. And it, he says, a new commandment. It's not his first commandment. It's a new one. Uh, and here it is. That you love one another. Even as I has loved you, and that is a very high standard. That is the highest bar you could possibly set. Love as I love. Uh, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciple. If you have love for one another. So, how do people know we're disciples of Jesus Christ? By how we treat each other. By how we love each other. Because, man, if we can't love each other in here, we ain't going to love them out there. It's the truth. Love is what makes your light shine to the world. That light that he just talked about, you are the light. Jesus proclaims that he has authority to issue new commandments. But the truth is, he is clarifying and codifying all the commandments he's already given. Matthew twenty-two thirty-five through 40 says this. One of them, a lawyer, this is the smart people, ask him a question, testing him, a human being testing God. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. And he gives them something that he didn't ask for. He tells them the second. The second is like it. And he's telling you why he's giving them the second, because it's just like the first one. It is a connection. You, if you're doing one, you will do the other. If you're not doing the one, you will not do the other. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself, making the assumption that we love ourselves. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. The entire Old Testament hangs on those two things. Everything in there. Every word, every death, every time God said, go kill them, every time the earth was flooded, every time the fire rained down, every time the earth opened up, it all goes around this. People were doing this or they were not. Uh, Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13. Uh, in line with that. Uh, now Israel, what does the Lord... God, uh, by the way, and when Jesus said that, he's quoting his own word. He's quoting the Old Testament. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today, for your good. Um, you've heard me say it before, but the truth of the matter is fear will never be enough to bring you to righteousness. Only love is. 
it's, not, it's the only thing strong enough to overcome your flesh. Um, then uh, to pair with that, Leviticus, that's one of the things he quoted. The next one was Leviticus 19, 16 through 18. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people. In other words, don't talk crap on other people. Don't do it. I don't care how tempting it is, how jealous you are, how mad you are. Let it go. Just don't do it. Um, among your people, you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. In other words, don't do anything to hurt them. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, which means correct them if they did something wrong. Speak to them about it. But you shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus quoted those two things and said to them, You know, if you know those two things, you know everything. Uh, Matthew seven twelve. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Treat people the same way they want to treat you. Because this is the Old Testament teaching. It's the, that's the sum of it. If you do the right thing, you won't do the wrong thing. It's just that simple. The don'ts of the law are consumed and overwhelmed by the do's of the law. And this is a do. This is something you do. The heart of the law, love, controls the letter of the law. And that is not a small statement. That is one he's about to make for a couple of verses, and he's going to lay it out point by point, bit by bit. Love, and you won't sin. John fifteen twelve. So, let's turn that around. If you find yourself sinning, if you find yourself uh, constantly uh, bad-mouthing somebody or trying to hurt them, or you know when you are and when you're not. You know what I mean? When you've made them your enemy and uh, in your heart you, you just despise them and you find yourself every chance you get uh, sticking the fork in anytime you can, you got to ask yourself, Am I, is this love? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I doing what I'm called to do? Am I doing what I was saved to do? Is my light shining? Am I being the salt? John 15, 12. This is my commandment. The author of the law is summing it all up for us. This is my commandment. This is the one I'm hanging my hat on. When you think of me, think of this one. That you love one another just as I loved you. Jesus tells us what he expects from us. Well, what he demands from us. It's a commandment. It's not a, it's not a request. It's a command. This fulfills all the law given before. He not only tells us what, he tells us how. As I have loved you. Uh, if you spend a little time, and, you th and if you don't understand how much God loves you, maybe you won't understand this. If you don't understand what you owe him, if you don't understand the depth of your own evil and how he still pushed through that and came to you and loved you and wrapped his arms around you and saved you from your own filth, uh, then maybe you'll have a hard time doing this. First John 3, 23, 24. Uh, by the way, you notice a lot of this is John. Uh, John's the dude who wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans. Hey, Lord, can we call down fire on them? 
and kill them all men women children houses villages just like alice's restaurant um this is his command thanks frank this commandment that we believe in the name nobody else is old enough for alice's restaurant believe in the name of his son jesus christ and love one another just as he commands so john's reiterating this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son jesus christ and we want to stop there but we can't and love one another just as he commands us the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and and he in him we know but by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us all the commandments are his commandments but here it is noted that jesus clarifies the heart of the law for us the why of the law that leads to the what being done correctly the what is simply the proof of the why now let me say that again the what what you actually do is simply the proof of the why what's in your heart love is the cause righteousness is the effect or the symptom if you wish if there is no righteousness then you could look at somebody and say well there is no love for god or man in that person believe in love as john said and you will not offend god or people that's called righteousness remember that the ten commandments were broken into two categories half of them were about offending god the other were about offending men that's how much god cares about it luke 6 1 through 11 jesus and the law and its heart now it happened as he was passed okay this is interesting uh uh, this needs it's been years since i preached on the law i i did a series on the law probably i'm not even going to guess probably seven years ago um we say it and then we don't think about it uh what its actual connection is to our lives but it's odd because um last week uh what's the name of the karen sits right in front of me um i think her name's karen um she turned around and asked me about this as, as I was working on it. She turns around and says, what about the times when Jesus did things that seemed outside of the law? And I was just happened to be working on these things. I said, honey, I guess it's time for me to preach on this. But anyway, it says this. Now that happened when he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath and his disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing in their hands and eating the grain. So basically, the guys are hungry. Uh, they're walking through a grain field. There's grain there and to eat the grain you have to separate it i mean i have wheat grain in a at my house in a garbage can that i feed to the deer that's already been it's just the grain so technically it'd be the same they just reach in and eat it um and they were eating. why because they were hungry but some of the pharisees now they're watching why do you do what is not lawful on the sabbath so these evil men are asking holy god the author of the law why are you breaking the law which is impossible for god to break the law because he can change it anytime he wants it's his law he can do anything he wants with it but that's not the point that jesus makes jesus answered said to them have you not ever read what david did when he was hungry and he and those who were with him they entered the house of god and took and ate the consecrated bread which was not lawful for any eat except the priest alone and gave it to his companions and he was saying to them the son of man 
is the Lord of the Sabbath. So he gives them a reason saying, I, and when, it, when that happened, did God strike them down dead? No, God, that's fine. Because of why it was done. The why mattered. So he explains it to them, and then he tells them, it really doesn't matter because I'm God anyway. <laughs> so even if that wasn't true, I could do whatever I want. That You could read that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What he's saying is, dude, <laughs> what I did was righteous. And it wasn't him, it was his disciples. I didn't stop them because they were hungry. And if eating is work, then why do any of you eat on a Sabbath? What, the fact that they ground it in their hand? What, do you put butter on your bread? Do you cook your... I mean, honestly. He said, you know, understand the heart of the ladder. Uh, and then he gives us another example. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. And notice these are packed together in the same teaching. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Uh, so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, so he knows they're looking to nail him on this, and he, so of course he does it publicly. Um, get up and come forward. He got up and came forward, and Jesus said to them, Jesus turns to those guys and says, let me ask you a question. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life, or destroy it which is better after looking around at them all he said to them after they just sit there they wouldn't answer because they knew they couldn't answer uh, they tried to catch him in a conundrum and he catches them they stand there dumbfounded they can't answer his question <sighs> you can almost hear him sigh he says to the man stretch out your hand now I don't know if that's the work they're worried about a hand stretching out and he did so and his hand was restored so, first, I asked you the question, where's the work? But they themselves were filled with rage because a man was healed and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. See, this is where they start talking about killing him. Well, one, he embarrassed them in front of everybody when they tried to embarrass him. And then he healed somebody. And he, in, in a moment, what they had built their lives on, what they had built their own righteousness on, he tore it to the ground in front of everybody. Love for his hungry disciples and love for the crippled man dictated the heart of the law. And Jesus is starting to teach us about the heart of his law. He's explaining his law to us because we can get really nuts with the law. Matthew 23, 24. Uh, Matthew 23, Jesus, the entire chapter 23, Jesus attacks those who use the law for their purposes. You blind guides who strained out the gnat, who strain out the gnat and swallow the camel. What he's telling them is, yeah, okay, you pick, you nitpick the law and you don't understand any of it. You do it all wrong. You, you try to keep out this little bug and you're swallowing a whole camel. You, you're, you are 100% wrong on how you're viewing this. Luke eleven thirty seven through 34. And now when he had spoken, the Pharisees had asked him to have lunch with them. And he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisees saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. The Lord said to him, now, okay, Jesus, in every one of these instances, I'm telling you, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. 
Jesus didn't forget anything. He didn't forget to wash his hands. He didn't uh, not see that his disciples were, and he didn't, you know, it's not that he forgot the law about the healing on the Sabbath or any of that. He's doing it on purpose because he wants to teach them something. He wants to teach me and you something. But the Lord said to him, it doesn't say that he said anything. He says that he sits there, the, this one Pharisee, and he sees that Jesus doesn't wash his hands, which was ceremonially what they were supposed to do by their own law. And, and it surprised him. He doesn't say anything, but Jesus knows that he's surprised by it. The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup of the, of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. He doesn't wash his hands so he could tell him this. You know, uh, you foolish ones. Did not he who made the outside also make the inside? But give that which is within his charity, and then all things are clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you pay the tithe of a mite and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet discard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done and here's the important part. This is the part that connects to, I have not come to abolish the law without neglecting the other. That's a really big caveat on that sentence. You should have done the other things without neglecting the other. For uh, verse uh, 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, this gets interesting. Um, <laughs> you can go down a route. I, I went oh, 26 seconds. Okay, well, let, let me, uh, before we get into this, because that, that's something we really need to address. I spent uh, a couple of days on this one just reading everything I could, trying to find what I could, and then, as usual, I'm left with what do I know about God, what do I know about His Word, to make my own conclusion here. There's a little part here that's really important, and it may just be language, or it may really mean something, and that's until. Uh, it says it won't pass away until all is accomplished. Uh, there's a lot to think about there. Um, now, there's so many scriptures that say, my word will never pass away. But the reason for the law, and I've come to a conclusion on this, but it's something we're thinking about because it could be one of two things. It could be that's just verbiage, or that word until could tell us something about the law and its termination for its purpose for the law's purpose. Not saying that it was ever wrong, that its principles will always be right. Um, but the need for it? The need for it. What it, what it does. It says, until all is accomplished. Till the law accomplishes what the law was sent to do. Uh, okay. Uh, let me just say a little bit. The law stands no matter what we do. But it needs to stand in the heart of God as stated above, do the heart without neglecting the letter. The law is more stable than creation itself. It is foundational truth. 
you follow the law because you desire righteousness, not because you fear punishment. As I stated, fear will never be enough. You follow the law because you love God and don't want to offend Him. You follow the law because you love your neighbor and don't want to harm them. When you truly want to be right, you will be right. When you want it more than you want what being wrong gives you, you will have it. What we want is what must be changed. I say it time and again. The law shows us what the right things to want is. The law will stand until it is accomplished what it was intended to accomplish, until the role it plays in the grand plan of God for mankind is fulfilled. The law remains indisputably intact eternally, but as for its relationship with us, it remains the same until it does what it was given to do. Consider this. The law of God will be written on our hearts. Our ways will be His ways. We will be conformed to the image of Christ. When we see Christ as He is and become like Him, the purpose of the law is fulfilled. It exists to show us the truth about ourselves so that the truth can be addressed by the sacrifice of Christ and the repentance of our hearts bound together in faith. Romans 3, I'll leave with, I'll leave with this. Romans 3, 19-21, the purpose of the law. We know, now we know, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that, okay, it's telling us what the law is here for. Every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. You know how I always say the law can't save you? That's where it comes from. No flesh will be justified. No, none. Nobody. Job, David, nobody. John the Baptist, nobody. In his sight. For through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law. Okay, that's really important. The righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What's the difference? Jesus Christ. Once the law proves that you're not righteous and that you cannot achieve it, grace imparts righteousness to us. The law brings us to repentance to seek the cure for sin. Scripture says that God is perfecting us so that we can be what he demands we be, which is perfect. What the law demands we be, perfect. Once he has done that, the purpose of the law has been achieved by the grace of God. This verse does not eliminate the need to keep the law. I think it speaks to the elimination of having to be commanded to keep it. That's the conclusion I came to after days of considering. I open it to you to find something different. I, I don't state that as an absolute. Uh, this is what I believe that's meant by that. Let me say it again. This verse does not eliminate the need to keep the law, to live the law. I think it speaks to the elimination of having to be commanded to keep the law. Because we'll just do it. What fear could not do, love will accomplish. The truth of the law will always be, but the sanction of the law will no longer be necessary. The sanctions of the law will no longer be necessary as obedience will be our constant and eternal demeanor and righteousness will be our nature. 
I temper that with Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth and pass away, but my words will not pass away. And what I just read to you were the words of Jesus Christ. So both the law and that statement are both his. Uh, I will leave it to you. We'll, we'll stop right there. And um, it's a lot to think about. Um, it, it's just thrown in there. And uh, there's another thing about reading scripture. You can find a little thing and go down a rabbit hole that isn't really a rabbit hole. You can dig it yourself. <laughs> and um, I, I read a lot of commentaries. I, I usually pick one or two, but this one had me going through them all. Um, I'm at peace with what I came, where I'm at with it. Uh, if you see it some way different, I have no argument with you. Um, when he's that word until what it means, um, whether it means something or not, um, it, it carries. That's that same sort of conundrum you run into, where there's all this theology that Jesus is the Son. He will always be the Son. He always was the Son. He will always be the Son. And then you read in Isaiah, where it's talking about the Son, and it says His name will be everlasting Father. And you say to yourself, wow, do I have to rethink everything? <laughs> you know, because it boldly proclaims what his name will be. Um, you know, uh, don't let it row or uh, mess with your faith. Uh, consider it interesting. Uh, spend as much time on it as it troubles you. If it doesn't trouble you at all, then go your way and uh, enjoy your life. But if, it, if there's something inside of you that says, I need to know what that means, then do your work. Um, there are those little things in scripture that make you dig deeper and I think they're there for a purpose uh, I think they're there for the ones what scripture gives, I can't remember what it was it's for those of you who really want to know <laughs> uh, on a deeper level then it's there um, so uh, any questions, comments, or criticisms I left off where Matthew Seven, five, 18 18, and I still have more on it, but I'm going to stop because I run over my time as usual. Isaiah 56, 6, page 44. Let me get that, and then we will close out. And uh, Read ahead a little bit, guys. Um, take a look at the, what Jesus says. Uh... Regarding the law, he says the law. He says the law says this, but I say, and he says it like six different times, and he picks a topic that everyone is familiar with, things like anger, hatred, lust, uh, our control for our lust for power, you know, uh, sexual lust, uh, the lust for power. He picks each one of them, and, and he goes right through them. He's coming up, and he says, uh, the ancients say, which is. He's quoting scripture, the laws and the, the prophets. But I say, he says, this is what it says. And when he says, each time it says, please note, each time it says, but I say. They say, but I say. There, there's a, It goes right down the line. I'm giving you clarity on the heart of the law. I'm going to talk to you about the heart of the law. And this is, you know, yeah, I'm giving you some real insight here. Uh, don't be a legalist. Don't, what he's really referring to is don't turn into the scribes and Pharisees. Don't do that. Do not do that. And man, it's, it's easy to do. It really is. You know, start leaning on your own righteousness, you know. 
Well, I forget where I was left off there. Bear with me for a second, please. Isaiah 51.6. Um, this is some deep stuff, and I really appreciate you guys hanging in there with me. Um, this ain't your usual, uh, you know, uh, light-hearted fare. Man, what a powerful, powerful first sermon. I, you could spend a lifetime working on chapter 5. You really can. There's so much there. It is so deep. Um, and I always feel, whenever I close my computer and my neck starts to hurt, I always feel like I should have kept it open a little bit longer. You know, there's so much more. Um, but if there are any questions uh, or anything that needs to be said, uh, then let's pray. Lord, we come before you, and we just thank you for your word. And Lord, give us your clarity. Uh, I know that if we want to know, it means a lot to you. And we want to know. Uh, whatever it is, uh, whether it's something we want to hear or not, uh, we want to know. So we're asking you to open our ears, open our hearts, and speak to us. And when you do, that when you speak to us, it, your word finds a home in our heart, and it changes us. So that we're not part of the problem, but we're part of the solution. So that we're not part of the darkness, we're part of the light. And I ask you to watch over my brothers and sisters. Make them strong, wise, brave, and compassionate. And help them, Lord, to glorify your name. To show your light in what they think, what they do, and what they say. In Jesus' name, amen.